chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where I explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. For the last couple of centuries, basically all of the world's chocolate has been made by just a handful of companies. The exact companies have changed over the years, but they're always massive names, ones you'd recognize immediately. Mars, Nestle, Hershey's, Cadbury. Even now, these American and European companies dominate the world market. But over the last couple of decades, a specialty chocolate market has emerged. Thousands of people from around the world are now chipping away at that long-held corporate market share. They're practicing transparency in their sourcing and processing. They're bringing more value to customers and back to the origins of their ingredients. For years, I learned of and watched older people switch careers into specialty chocolate. But over the last few years, I've noticed a spike in young chocolate makers, cacao producers, retailers, and writers. Last year, I even wrote an article highlighting dozens of such millennials, which I've recently expanded and republished. If you'd like to read the article, you can find a link to it in the description. Certainly, this shift is partially due to the lowered bar of entry to the market. As more people become involved, equipment and ingredients become much more affordable and available. Yet, the explanation that it got cheaper and easier just doesn't satisfy me. Because while the basic act of chocolate making is easy, making good chocolate is hard. And people are trying to make good chocolate. And making good chocolate in the melty tropics of cocoa-producing countries is an even bigger logistical challenge. Add in the task of having to educate your consumer base, and you've got a recipe for stress headaches. When I first got into chocolate in 2012, I guess you could say... That time, I was like an island, really. That was Luisa Abram, a Brazilian chocolate maker and fellow millennial. She's one of several chocolate industry millennials I spoke with for this story, all of whom had very differing backgrounds and very differing perspectives on the topic. Each guest had me questioning the extent to which generational differences can actually explain these recent shifts. Do the characteristics of millennials even exist outside of the U.S.? Or is it just an amalgamation of individual epiphanies? each one bringing a different young person to the craft chocolate community. Before we dive into the potential causes of the spike of millennials in chocolate, let's try to define millennial. Before researching this story, I'd always thought a millennial was a person born between the early 1980s and the mid-1990s. We were brought together by our shared experiences in the 20th century and having grown up in the 21st century. Knowing this definition was vague and rather incomplete, I asked each of my four guests how they'd define a millennial. 
This is Luisa Abram, again, a 27-year-old chocolate maker from Sao Paulo, Brazil. I thought, oh, we don't have millennials here in Brazil. I was like, we don't have this generation group thing. But then I realized that we actually do. From the generation of my parents to our generation, we had a, a huge difference in, in the way that we behave like, like a society. So Louisa had never heard of this concept of millennials before I asked to interview her about them. But my other three guests had, and each one had very differing opinions on the topic. Personally, I believe that millennials don't exist. We made them up. A millennial, to me, does have to do something with the, the age group when you were born. Millennials are the one generation who have seen best of both the worlds. In order, that was Michael Ryan from Omnom Chocolate in Iceland, Jonas Tejero from Holt Chocolate Society in England, and Arun Viswanathan from Chitran Chocolate in India. Despite their differing opinions, however, a definite pattern emerged from all four interviews. Three specific ideas came from each guest. Health, eating local, and global interconnectedness. The guest who was by far the most reluctant to classify anyone as a millennial was 22-year-old Jonas Tejero. I'm Jonas from Venezuela. I currently live in London, though. I'm finishing my Master in International Business at Holt International Business School. At Holt, Jonas also founded the Holt Chocolate Society, an educational business initiative in chocolate. His studies of marketing and observations at chocolate tastings have led him to believe that age simply isn't a reliable classification. I think their lifestyle defines a person more than the generation in itself. But do you think that there are any shared experiences that people of the same age around the world have had? For example, a 25-year-old in India versus a 25-year-old in Japan versus a 25-year-old in Venezuela. I mean, the context changes you, and that's the beautiful part of, 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 genera- of, of the concept of generations, and I put this in quotation marks because I, I truly don't believe in, in calling generations generations, but it depends on your context. Of course, if you're from a different country and you grew up with a certain environment in a, in a political, economical, social sense, the experience will somehow be different. But at the same time, you can easily belong to the same social background of, for example, if you go to Hope, and I'm talking from, from first-hand experience, you see a lot of people that come from a very similar social economic background, that they grow from all around the world, but they think very similar. They think in a very globalized way, in a globalized way, they think in a very interconnected way and their values are, they're pretty similar. They have certain disconnects between one another, which are mainly cultural barriers. But at the end of the day, people from all over the world are able to experience similar things depending on the opportunity they have to access certain channels of communication. So what you're saying is access to opportunity is what makes people more similar access to opportunity to learn, to maybe have the same cultural experiences, which can be different from decade to decade, let's say. 
Correct, but it's not so, only the opportunity to learn, it's the opportunity to access communication channels. Because I think if you see social media, it has allowed to create a certain global culture within, within, within itself. Of course, you also have very different trends from country to country, like now that India has access the market of, of, of the internet and they're growing in a very fast way, you see the difference between social media in India and social media in, in the West world or, or even in Far Asia. You see a difference between each of them. But at the end of the day, some of the values are shared throughout culture thanks to a more interconnected world, not only in 20 year olds, but all across. So how do you think a young person would interpret or interact with craft chocolate and how do you think that's different from how an older person might interpret it or interact with it say someone in their mid-60s about to retire that's that's a tough one because in in a sense it depends on what are the values of that young person i think if I like, if I will need to generalize, I believe in a joint generations like you're seeing now, a health trend that we are, like we have never seen before. People are drinking less alcohol to be more healthy. People are actually caring where the food comes from. There are not trusting big corporations, and like you have this full movement toward local goods like it, 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 it seems it seems to be a global trend like you focus on the local market and what how you what you can support so in that end the craft chocolate is is has a clear opportunity to match that health trend that telling the story behind the bar telling the story behind what you make actually makes a huge difference with the young people but also with the old again like i want to still stick with my uh question mark on generations but it does generate a big trend and a, and a big difference for, for young people currently. Seeing the brand behind it, understanding the health claims and understanding that they're supporting an entire project that is not only helping the business that you're buying the chocolate from, but it's helping an entire supply chain to grow and to develop, especially the farm. So you see this shift towards more younger people in chocolate right now as a balancing out of the amount of opportunity that people have had. First, older people had more opportunity. Now, younger people are also having access to this opportunity or... I think young people was used to their commercial chocolate brands. Like what you had access to and the opportunity you had to buy and the opportunity you have to taste was only commercial chocolate and craft chocolate was in a very small scale, all scattered around the place before this big craft chocolate movement but after that and after craft chocolate started hitting the shelves and started making sound and started creating awareness and creating sort of a salience that's where that's where we went in and we were like that's where we saw the opportunity and we said okay go let's go for it and try it let's see how this goes to see how these three ideas of health locality and interconnectedness have drawn millennials into chocolate it's first important to understand how specialty chocolate itself became what it is, because these three factors play a pivotal role in shaping identities far beyond the millennial generation. To give some light background, in the late 90s, a small chocolate company named Scherfenberger opened in Berkeley, California. 
Over the next decade, Scharfenberger, a few small European chocolate makers, and a variety of online resources slowly inspired a small batch chocolate movement in North America. They often referred to this chocolate as bean to bar, meaning from cocoa bean to chocolate bar. But these days, many people also call it craft chocolate or specialty chocolate. In many respects, the term itself is an ode to the basic tenet of bean to bar chocolate transparency. To show how their chocolate was special, Scharfenberger and other craft chocolate pioneers practiced total transparency, with precious few exceptions. This transparency in sourcing and crafting their chocolate happened just as the internet was hitting the world hard, and smartphones were becoming pretty normal. This is all to say that craft chocolate itself is sort of a millennial. It's in its early 20s, health and wellness are becoming a big selling point, and eating local is all the rage. In fact, around the world, new makers are popping up everywhere. They're using social media to emphasize their transparency and luring people in by promising a healthier and more delicious local product. This isn't every chocolate maker but it's a large enough portion of them that it's definitely become a trait of the industry. The rapid globalization of craft chocolate over the course of its short life has caused it to appear in every corner of the world. For example, in India. I'm Arun Vishwanathan, a chocolate maker from Coimbatore, India. I run, the, I run three brands called Ganache, Infusions, and Chitram. I asked 29-year-old Arun about the role millennials have played in craft chocolate. And he had to go back a bit in history to set up the shift. It's in the mid-90s, 1990s, when India was exposed to the food culture around the world. And I look into articles where I realize the globalization happened during this period. There was so much opportunities to travel. There were so much job opportunities around the world. It's been like, you know, the time when we have explored more in terms of food and in terms of chocolate. People are now very health conscious and we millennials have so much access to knowledge these days that we want to know more about food, more about health, what goes on around the world and so on. I think it's it's kind of this exposure and uh, opening up to the global market has created so much enthusiasm in the millennials to learn more about food and food culture. So Arun believes that this global interconnectedness and access to information has in a way caused our generational interest in health and eating local. But in turn, it's also allowed all of his customers to indulge their fascination with chocolate in a variety of ways. Chocolate is something which everybody is curious and interested to know. Like people want to know about chocolates, people tend to have a craving for chocolates and so on. So when the dialogue and the point of conversation is chocolate, everyone has a smile on their face and they also want to know a lot more about chocolates. So, uh, so it, it, it's, it's all about how much knowledge you can and information you can provide them and how convincing your point of arguments in terms of how chocolate can be good for health, good for health without it being a lot sugary and so on is kind of uh, the things I had to take, uh, take to the customers for getting the credibility. It took some time. But uh, being young, on the other hand, also gave me the time and opportunity to take it slow 
and like for customers to have take their own time to accept me uh with the products i came up with uh, especially if you look into my cafe we also deal with uh, fusion food with chocolate as the base base so like we do a lot of uh, we do something called the cacao cuisine here which is cocoa as a part of your everyday diet without it being sweet or bitter for instance we do a paneer tikka which is a traditional indian starter appetizer with a chocolate and chili uh, marinade and these are things which we are trying to work on where people can relate to the food at the same time have chocolate as their part of their uh, everyday diet how will you be using your business because i know you've mentioned working with farmers but how do you plan on using your business to help empower the local community how sustainable we are going to make cocoa is the point of question right now and uh, from the stage of cultivation the farming practices fermentation we need to provide the farmers with the technology help and also see there is a huge demand for co- good quality cocoa around the world and from the region i come from there are farmers who have a lot of cocoa cultivation going on but would uh, definitely benefit with a lot of knowledge sharing and uh, technology tra- transfer so that is something which i'm trying to see with cocoa town also pitching their help in this regard with doing workshops uh, during which we invite farmers to have an uh, hands on exposure on uh, fermentation and uh, chocolate making and so on the next stage would also be about the mechanization we need more mechanized chocolate making techniques available here so that's something which we are also looking into as an option is there anything else you wish people would know about the indian craft chocolate scene specifically yes there are a lot of new players entering into the craft chocolate industry in india people who have given up on their well paying jobs to enter into the chocolate industry right now so it's a very very healthy scenario because it is being noticed as a very prospective industry and a success i mean and the chances of us all growing together is more right now and i also would say uh, from my point of view uh, maintaining a regional region specific product good like promoting the flavors and the taste of a region would go a long way in developing the products because i still find this chocolate craft chocolate industry market to be a little more region specific and i just hope to see a lot more chocolate makers in my country who come up with more indian flavors which can be celebrated around the world from cacao cuisine to becoming cacao farmers and chocolate makers themselves india's next generation of chocolate people has their work cut out for them we have kind of created a base market right now we in the sense the millennials have uh, started creating a lot of base work we are doing we are also sharing a lot of knowledge we are doing a lot of uh, you know events where we are uh, we are explaining what craft chocolates are what uh, where we are heading as a chocolate industry and also the uh, the cocoa uh, supply chain and so on so going forward 10 years down the line i feel we would have given them a big better supply chain and they would have to work more on the marketing aspects of it and innovate more and that's the work because 
the first comers tend to always have more work in this industry and uh, for the good or bad the, it this craft chocolate industry has happened during this time of the millennials Chocolate is a tough industry to get into, no matter your age. But as Arun remarked, being a pioneer ain't easy. Louisa Abram knows this struggle firsthand. She was one of the first small batch chocolate makers in Brazil. Here in Brazil, everything is mega. So all the, the laws are for mega business. And if you are a small one, you have to follow the mega law. So it's kind of um, a mess. So I went to the US, I spent a month over there and I noticed that basically all the chocolate related places that I went belongs to someone that had a previous career. So now the chocolate is their second or now it was their hobby and now it's becoming more like a business. And I didn't see a lot of young people and I think this is because bean to bar chocolate is so new and young people like my age, millennials, they are volatile and they want to post a video on YouTube and be rich in the next day. They just want like the recipe and there's no recipe. As pessimistic as that clip sounds, I swear our interview was actually full of hope for the future. Hope for the future generations of Brazilian chocolate makers and Brazilian cacao farmers. It's this unwavering belief that she feels and sees in her students that allows her to notice and then power through a variety of generational differences. I don't really see a lot of young people in chocolate industry. I see a lot of people that had their job and now as a second career, they are beginning with the chocolate. I would say we are having an age shift for sure. Like when I go to the communities, um, four years ago, I would see people above 50 working with the cacao. And now that it's been four years, since we are buying from the same co-op, the young people are now seeing the value of fine cacao. They are getting more interested in working with cacao and chocolate. And I hope to, in a few years, to see young people really choosing the cacao and the chocolate as their first job as the first career and I do think that when this happens we will see that a lot of the customer base will change because young people have young friends so by then they they make chocolate they give to their young friends and their young friends have more friends and so the word of bean to bar chocolate just gets spread quickly. A couple of years ago, my dad handed me a book, um, Contagious, and it was about word of mouth. And it really showed me the power of saying something to the right people. So 
like when I teach, when I go teach, each and every time that I go, I can see a shift in age and in gender. So where like two years ago, I had most of my class being men in their 30s. Now I have women in their 20s. Just, you know, making a prediction that Brazil would be, will be the country with most women chocolate makers. I've never seen so many women together as I see here in the chocolate industry in Brazil. So a bit earlier, you mentioned that there are about 50 bean-to-bar chocolate makers in Brazil right now. What's the age range like for those makers? Are, are there any other makers who are like mid-30s and lower? So, um, being a country of origin, we have, a, we have a lot of easy things. And one of them is access to the cacao. And it's amazing to be in a cacao-producing country because you have a connection with the land. Actually, when you go to an association meeting, um, I will be the, the younger and most of the people over there would be maybe around 40, I, I want to say 50, but 50 is like top because these people are farmers that they have, they have their daily job. They have their career besides being a chocolate maker, but now they have what I, I mentioned before, they had the connection with the land. They want to make something out of it. They witness devastation in their area where they were born, where their families are from. And they just want to go back and reestablish a relationship with the people in the farm and with the cacao. And also with the other countries around the world to see Brazil not as exclusively a bulk producer. A few years back, I read an article about how the average age of a cacao farmer is 50. And this average is certainly lower in Brazil, where millions of trees and millions of careers were killed by disease in the 1980s. However, I predict farmer age will continue to lower around the world especially in the coming decades, as innovation and entrepreneurship and a desire to preserve our environment continue to blossom on cacao farms. Michael Ryan of Omnam Chocolate in Reykjavik, Iceland, sees the industry's transparency as a way to bring knowledge and innovation to those farmers in Brazil and beyond. At Origin, when people communicate or work together, it benefits us all. Um, up and down the supply chain, but also around when craft chocolate makers are open and share their processes and equipment that benefits us all. And we can all learn from it and improve the equipment and improve the way we make chocolate. But uh, the same goes for, for origin countries, I'm sure. As the specialty chocolate industry's knowledge increases, so does its power. And over time, so has the power of the so-called millennial generation, however you define it. Millennials have definitely influenced the food world, not only as makers and producers and sort of inventors. Millennials are also just affecting the food industry based on their buying power. I saw an article re recently, I didn't actually read the 
the whole thing, but just the title alone explained that millennials were not purchasing enough canned tuna as uh, their older generations did. And the canned tuna industry was very concerned about that. How do, how do we target millennials? And I, I don't know, I never knew that there would be a crisis on canned tuna. I can't explain why millennials don't want to purchase it, but I can see this with so many different facets of the food industry and, and others that once millennials are informed or can make a conscious buying decision, we tend to shift in mass or um, stop purchasing in mass. And it really has an effect on these larger companies making these products. A millennial is someone who is super connected socially, but they also are connected to the larger picture of what they're purchasing, how that affects the supply chains, whether it's clothing or food or what energy they're consuming, um, and inherently then where they're living. And I think it's a general awareness about their position within the global context rather than just a national context or a local context. Inconveniently, I can't tell the future. But I can tell you that there are a lot of hardworking young people continuing to build and grow a thriving craft chocolate sector. One that hopefully can feed the growing number of people taking notice of what they put in their bodies and where it comes from. Like Jonas, us millennials have a big goal. Making craft chocolate the, the go-to for many people. But before you go, Michael has a few words for us young people. And really for all the hardworking chocolate lovers out there. And I think they're an apt way to start off the new year. They shouldn't be overworking themselves, um, particularly if you're single. If you don't have a pet, if you don't have a, a partner, then you're apt to spend more time at the office or the factory, for that matter, and work your ass off to achieve your dreams. And I'm not saying to cut back on your dreams or cut back on the amount of work that they deserve, but to just recognize that you need that time to self-care, um, to unplug, to shut off your phone completely for a day, to walk away from it, to get out into nature. Nature? I think that's the kind of stuff you see on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this first full-length episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends, family, strangers on the street, anything you want to do to get the word out. Your support means so much as it keeps me motivated to continue sharing the stories and experiences of a range of amazing guests. An especially huge thank you to Michael, Arun, Luisa, and Jonas for being in this very first full-length episode. I can't wait to share more of these amazing stories with you. To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes of this episode in the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me for the next time we go on the road. Mm -hmm.